What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Happy August. Happy, happy August. Great to be here in a month of football. We have an awesome, awesome show. Dan Mullen for a, a full hour. Got into a lot of stuff with him. Even the very last answer. Just something to, something to stick around for if you're one of those people that's like, ah, you know, I kind of fast scrub through interviews. Uh, definitely don't do that. Great conversation with Dan Mullen. Good to be able to chat with him. Will is going to join us for figuring it out. We talked about traveling abroad, um, but we recorded that uh, at the end of last week. So I'm solo for for part one. Fall camp is here. Guys, this is good news. Rejoice. Fall camp officially here. We have made it. The long off season is over, kind of. No more months without football for the rest of the year. So I thought with fall camp kicking off, I would just do a brain dump of sorts of everything that's kind of on my mind as we approach this season. So uh, let's start with quarterbacks. Obviously, the most interesting battle is the one in Tuscaloosa, unless you're talking about Georgia is still a legitimate battle. But I would argue that Alabama feels more like a true battle. Don't hold your breath on Alabama naming a starter, specifically Nick Saban. Instead, just look at the FanDuel Heisman odds. Speculate wildly. Jalen Milrow plus five thousand. Ty Simpson plus eight thousand. Tyler Buckner plus ten thousand. So there you have it. Jalen Milrow is your Alabama starting quarterback. No, just kidding. But I, I don't even know if Saban knows what he wants to happen. I think with this things like with, with something like this, you can have an idea of what you would like to see, and then ultimately. These things aren't what you expect, and Saban has maintained patience with this process, and he compared it to when he was a kid, and he would be standing next to his grandma while baking a cake, and he would just ask her repeatedly to take it out so that he could eat it, and then his grandma told him that the cake wouldn't be very good if it came out early. So there you have it. Um, Saban is trying to be patient with this process because obviously nobody has emerged just yet. Tyler Buckner's edition told us that at the end of spring. You're not getting a quarterback announcement next week. I don't think that's going to be the case. I'd be very, very surprised. Never say never, I guess, but I would be very surprised. At the same time, I don't think that Alabama will be splitting first-team reps three ways throughout fall camp, especially knowing that the Texas game lurks week two. I'm going to stay on the stance that Ty Simpson wins the job. I do think there's something to be said when Saban continues to repeat over and over and over again. Alabama starter can't be the guy who makes the plays that beat us. We need to have a guy who stops making the plays that beat us. I think Saban wants a game manager of sorts. I don't think this is some wishy-washy thing once the season starts. I don't think this is going to be a case where, oh, a guy throws a pick in the first game and then he gets pulled and then they're going back and forth throughout the first month. I don't think that ends up being the way Alabama's starting quarterback job shakes out. I mean, you could really look at the, the history of this with the exception of 2017, the way the national championship played out, this isn't really a job that guys give up midseason. But until then, let's just speculate wildly. Tons and tons of quarterback battles. The battles where it'll be news if they don't win. Carson Beck at Georgia, going to be the starter. Peyton Thorne at Auburn, going to be the starter. Brady Cook at Mizzou. Connor Wigman at AM. Graham Mertz at Florida. Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Let's talk about the Jackson Dart thing uh, because I, I'm going to admit here that my spring prediction that Spencer Sanders would win that job, it looks very, very wrong. 
I heard more at SEC Media Days that Sanders was third string than I did that he was going to win the starting job. And the rumor at the time was that Sanders would transfer from Ole Miss as a grad transfer in the middle of fall camp or the very beginning of it, which is just bizarre on a variety of levels. Sanders then told on three last week that he plans on being at fall camp, that he was excited to be part of the quarterback room. It's a weird situation because on one hand, you've got a guy who is a four-year starter at the Power 5 level and a pretty good one at that. The obvious thought by many, myself included, is why would he go to Ole Miss if he wasn't certain that he'd win the job? And I don't know that that Spencer Sanders had a ton of other places where that path would have just been 100% obvious. He's the guy, slam dunk. You're looking at system. You're looking at what you're what you're bringing to the table and all those other factors. It's not as easy as we sometimes think it is on the outside. I'm guessing like myself, he didn't think Jackson Dart would have as good of a spring as he did. You know, I talked about that a few years ago with Justin Fields probably didn't think Jake Fromm was going to look as good as he did to start off that 2018 season. And then things change. And then you realize, all right, this is different than what I expected. Maybe the the shoulder injury was part of that. Spencer Sanders was working through that a little bit. He obviously got to play in the spring game, looks really good, but for now, it looks like a risk that he took that didn't necessarily play out. And here's something else to consider. Just kind of file this one away. Let's say Spencer Sanders realizes that he's not going to be the guy at Ole Miss. And it's early to mid-August. He might just decide. Again, this is just pure speculation. That's what we're talking about here. He could decide, I'm going to hang here at Ole Miss. Maybe I'll just be the backup for a little bit. Maybe I'm a turned ankle away from getting that opportunity and not looking back. Worked out pretty well for Hendon Hooker when he wasn't the initial starter at Tennessee. Guy gets to to take off despite the fact that he was in a very late stage of his career. There's also the possibility that Spencer Sanders could just be like, you know what? I'm going to be 24 by the time the season is over. Maybe the NFL isn't going to happen for me. Maybe my future in professional football doesn't have a ton of those opportunities. And I'd rather get my coaching career started with Lane, a.k.a. the guy who made a 24-year-old Charlie Weiss Jr. the youngest coordinator ever at the Division I level back when he was at FAU in 2018. So that's just a thought. Keep, keep that in mind. But I am very much here for the Spencer Sanders updates. I think we will be getting some of those very, very soon. Another thing to stay tuned for, Bobby Petrino updates. Want them. Need them. Might have to set up a Google alert for it. I would love to live in a world in which AM would just give us 20 minutes of Bobby Petrino every week. That's not the case. Uh, I mean, you could look at it from a variety of standpoint. I kind of get it from, from AM's side. When does a bad thing happen with a Bobby Petrino press conference? Probably have to search the internet far and wide to find any sort of instance of that. Uh, that's not going to happen, probably. My goal, though, and what I would love to see happen is Jimbo Fisher continue to try and play it extremely coy. And then eventually, at some point in fall camp, after he's been asked about this 600 different times, maybe Jimbo just hits his breaking point where we get a very Nick Saban-like, so quit asking. You know, we're talking about Alabama's quarterback battle, how that played out after the Louisville game to kick off that 2018 season. Very, very famous Saban soundbite that we got, uh, courtesy of Maria Taylor in the post-game interview. I don't know that we're going to get Jimbo to get to that point, but that's probably the best we could hope for. Don't set your expectations too high for a ton of Petrino updates. Do, however, set expectations high for Connor Wigman. Even though he spells his first name wrong, I'm very much on board with that. I want Connor Wigman's stock, regardless 
of how this plays out in the in the fall camp with Bobby Petrino with Jimbo Fisher. Other stock that I want, I want Mason Smith stock. Yeah, get in line. I know. Congratulations. Heard it here first. He's back from the torn ACL that ended his 2022 season at LSU, the season opener against Florida State. Obviously, he's going to be a full participant at fall camp. Two different coaching staffs at LSU have basically told us, yes, this man is the real deal. He is that game record that everybody has been waiting to see. Pretty rare to see a guy with five career starts enter the year as a preseason first team all SEC selection. I don't know the list of guys that have been able to do that, especially in the trenches in the SEC, but a little bit different because he's pre-draft year, so he's a lot more developed, but you get what I'm saying. I'm trying to temper my own expectations for what we see of Mason Smith in fall camp. I don't want to look too far into how explosive he is, and if we don't get a bunch of these videos just dismantling dudes in one-on-ones, it's not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. LSU has the depth on the defensive line where it could probably afford to keep him on somewhat of a pitch count early as he gets his footing back. I just hope that he gets back to feeling so good where he's bouncing around, just maybe not bouncing around celebrating a play that a teammate made. Another buzzy breakout guy coming out of SEC media days, Dante Thornton. Talk to some Tennessee folks in Nashville who are very, very high on the Oregon transfer and saying he's going to step into this offense and just take off. 6'5", can absolutely jet. His fit from a schematic standpoint has people there kind of wondering if he is going to become one of the most unique weapons in the SEC. I am not selling any of my squirrel white stock because I do think his experience with Milton, the second teamers, I think that could be huge. But Thornton is a guy who could have like a 200-yard game where the defense just doesn't have an answer for him. And and we could see that. Maybe it's a little bit touch and go, and there are weeks where he's just kind of invisible. And then there are other weeks where you're just like, you cannot stop him. I don't think it's fair to say that he's going to be Jalen Hyatt 2.0. There are only a handful of guys with Bolitnikoff level upside and a third-year player in his third offense with 26 career catches, probably not one of them. But do remember that Jalen Hyatt had all the buzz entering last year. And if you looked at his pre-2022 numbers compared to Thornton's entering this year, you'd see, wow, that's actually really similar. Cedric Tillman pre-2021 or even pre-mid-October 2021, guy did not have a whole lot of production. And then, boom, just takes off. This Tennessee offense with Josh Heupel is just all about opportunity. Uh, It's 100% opportunity. That's what this comes down to. Thornton can have himself a very buzzy fall camp and earn himself quite the opportunity If, of course, he's checking those boxes, he's getting on the same page as Joe Milton. Another highly coveted opportunity. I think in some ways it's good that Carson Beck is on the back burner entering fall camp a little bit. Yeah, not, you know, obviously he's still being talked about in in, within Georgia circles. And I'm not saying that we've just forgotten about Carson Beck, but at least from a QB battle standpoint. If we're talking about who's going to replace Stetson Bennett and you have an answer that isn't Carson Beck, you're you're very much the minority at this point. There doesn't really feel like much doubt that he's going to be the starter. He's got the same Heisman odds as Drake May. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Plus 1,800. Carson Beck, Drake May, one and one for, not one and one, but they, they are side by side in the Heisman Trophy odds. Barring injury, any sort of off-field issue, all signs point to Beck winning the starting job, taking off. Speaking of the off the field stuff as it relates to Georgia, you knew I was probably going to get here. That's kind of why it feels like Carson Beck is on the back burner. 
It is now up to 14 driving-related incidents involving Georgia players since the tragedy that occurred the night after the championship parade. Not to beat a dead horse too much here, but this is a thing. And Georgia fans, you can admit that right now it might just feel like you versus the world or you versus the media, whatever you want to say. But if this stuff continues and you don't win a third title, you're lying to yourself if you're saying you won't be thinking about this. We question focus with championship teams. We do that when teams are kind of on the straight and narrow. We, we do. We especially do it when it feels like there's been something every week throughout the offseason. I'm not saying that there has been, but it just kind of feels like that. With guys back on campus, those headlines for Georgia, those negative headlines need to stay in the month of July. If for nothing else, you don't want to have Kirby and, and players have to address this stuff on a weekly basis. That's the type of stuff that can wear on a team. It can wear in a locker room. There's a reason why this whole three-peat thing hasn't happened with 18 to 22-year-old kids since the first term of the FDR administration. It's hard. Georgia has mostly made this avoiding complacency thing look really easy, but complacency comes from a lack of discipline, which is what Georgia would be showing if these negative headlines continued in fall camp. Two things that just happened ahead of fall camp, not necessarily specific to fall camp, but things that I wanted to hit on here. Week one college game day is UNC South Carolina in Charlotte, the battle for Carolina. A lot of people seem pretty underwhelmed by this. And that led to, wow, the week one slate must not be very good if this game is getting college game day love. I'll agree it's not a particularly deep week one slate. It's definitely not. I'm excited for it because it's the start of college football season. I'm always going to be excited for week one. Heck, I'm excited for week zero. But if this South Carolina UNC opener just doesn't have you at least somewhat intrigued, I, I don't know. That's I think that's a you problem. Drake May, Spencer Rattler, two defenses who have, uh, let's just say some serious questions. And I can say that because I'm the number one Gene Chizik fan on planet Earth. Okay, I'm being unbiased here and saying that his defense at least has some issues to be able to figure out. No doubt about that. But those are two guys at the quarterback position who you know are going to be completely picked apart this year. And they've had very different arcs to their career. It's kind of similar if you actually look back at what was being said about Spencer Rattler two years ago and what's being said about Drake May right now. But obviously their careers are at very different places. It is a showcase game for those two probably borderline top 25 teams if they aren't sneaking in that first AP poll. But the spread is like UNC minus one and a half over under 61 and a half. Spencer Rattler was asked about this at media days. He's like, yeah, I hope we put on a show. And that was before he knew that this was going to be a college game day game. This this checks a lot of boxes, I, I think. If you're just like one of those people, you just want to watch college football all day. You don't necessarily have a rooting interest. This game should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I think it checks a lot more boxes than any other week one game. I would say present a problem without providing a solution is very frustrating. Don't do that. Um, what game would you have wanted if it wasn't going to be this one? Colorado at TCU, noon Fox game. Uh, now, Dion's debut at the defending runners-up, that's what TCU is, but still a three-touchdown spread. It's not like you're getting the, the home Colorado crowd there. So I don't really think that made a lot of sense. Florida-Utah, that's on a Thursday night. LSU-FSU, that is the top week one showdown, but that's Sunday night. That'd be kind of weird if you had college game day on Saturday there, and then there wasn't even a game that day. Um, but just I, I think you should be okay with, with having college game day go to Charlotte for this matchup. Chances are you probably have an opinion on Spencer Rattler. Enjoy the side-by-side -side of him and Drake May. I'll say this on Rattler, and I know he's somebody that we've talked about a lot in these airwaves, but 
Um, I, I didn't have him as a preseason All-SEC quarterback. I, I think you could point to the first 10 weeks of last season. It'll justify that. I had him fifth in my SEC quarterback rankings to start the year. After spending time with South Carolina all day in Nashville, I can tell you this. If that guy was a jerk and nobody wanted him to be around, you'd have heard something about that. You would have. In the last year plus, a year and a half that he's been in South Carolina, don't you think we would have had some of these things come out? He is extremely well-liked in that building. Right when he decided to come back this year, he was voted team captain. He is very, very liked by those guys. And there is a belief that it is a kind of us against the world type thing with guys who stand up for him. Shane Beamer also standing up for him at every turn. And I think it's because there are a lot of people still holding on to what they saw from the Netflix show. And the fact that Spencer Rattler lost his job at Oklahoma when he had all that buzz and he lost his job to a guy who's coming back as the best player in college football this year in Caleb Williams. And look, I'm not trying to talk you out of your specific opinion. Everybody's entitled to that, but that opinion on the inside is very, very different and kind of seeing the way that he interacts with people, seeing the way that he interacts with teammates, with Shane Beamer. Um, I, I, it kind of confirms some of the things that I've been hearing. Also shameless plug, I did a behind-the-scenes story on spending the day with Beamer, so go check that out, SaturdayDownSouth.com. One last thought, and just file this one away, away for later. This doesn't really have a whole lot to do with fall camp, but news that happened last week. Um, we found out that Colorado is off to the Big 12. The old snip-snap, snip-snap, Colorado not getting a vasectomy. The Pac-12 maybe getting a vasectomy. The take was, okay, so what's next then? Colorado's going there. Good for Colorado. This is kind of why you make a big splash, like getting Dion. How bad is this for the Pac-12? Really bad. Are we going to see Oregon, Washington, one of those schools announced that they're moving this week too? Had some Florida State rumors that were circulating, though I'll still default to the grant of rights deal, which has those teams locked in. 2036, you know about this. Until we hear that someone is actually willing to fork over $120 million or whatever it's going to cost to get out of the ACC, um, I, I'm just not really holding my breath on that. I don't think you can ask their new conference, whether it's the Big Ten or the SEC, to help them out with paying that money because it's kind of like, hey, you're coming to this conference because we are increasing your annual media revenue and you don't want to piss off your member schools by doing something like that. Um, I threw out a poll on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, still getting used to that, that basically said, hey, SEC fans, do you want to stay within the region? or expand outside of it. I knew the majority of the people responding to that were going to say, stay in the region. It was just a question of how many were going to say that. The result was 91% said that they want the SEC to stay within the region. I posed it that way, despite the fact that, look, nobody, nobody would call Missouri or Texas or Oklahoma southeastern states. But I do think that there is a feeling that if Oregon and Washington are on the move, you won't see SEC fan bases fret. And when they pick another destination that isn't the SEC, you're not going to see this. Oh, what does the SEC now have to do to respond to this? Uh, I find it so unique that SEC fans covet that geography so much. And maybe it's not so much geography is it is just a being able to to feel like this is a, a place that lives and breathes college football 
And there's a belief that in the Pacific Northwest portion of the country that that's just not the case, though you could obviously go school by school and find a whole lot of places that care about it very much. You could go to the state of Nebraska and find a program that cares about it very much. It's ironic because if Nebraska was ever like on the table to be, you know, to leave the Big Ten, which obviously they're not going to be doing anytime soon. But if that had been the case and if they had been welcome into the SEC, they would have fit in perfectly, despite the fact that nobody calls Nebraska the Southeast. But it's all about how do you view football and how does how do, how do we process you fitting into this conference that fits this this I don't want to call it a stereotype, but it is this place where, you know, the conversation changes and it just does. And I just think that with expansion, that's going to be at the forefront of every single conversation that involves the SEC. And it's why some people would push back on the notion of Virginia joining the conference. Oh, do they take football seriously enough? But SEC fans defend it. And you just could maybe defend it because you pull up a map of teams who've won a national title in the 21st century and you see the the heat map clearly indicates where the talent is and where the championships are being won. I think there's a cohesion that's desired to maintain some of that geographical integrity. And that's what Greg Sankey has talked about so much and not necessarily add just for the sake of adding. And it's why I'll continue to say that I'd be stunned if the SEC's next edition, if expansion happens within the SEC, I'd be stunned if it was a non-ACC school. I think it'll come from the ACC. And maybe that just means the SEC sits at 16. They wait outside of the door of the ACC. It's like the old NBA free agency deal where you just have teams waiting until 1201 or you know, claiming that they're waiting until 1201 when we know these conversations have already been happening. But I just found that really interesting that the Big 12's aggressive rebuilding vibe has just uh, the conversation in such a different place than the ACC and the crumbling Pac-12, who hopefully one day for its own sake will announce a media deal instead of watching its conference implode. All right, let's kick it to Dan Mullen. Like I said, great conversation with him. Um somebody who was, I think, pretty honest about his time at Florida and got into a lot of other things with him, leaving Mississippi State, talking about some of those days uh, working under Urban Meyer, had a great story about that experience as well. So here is Dan Mullen. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Florida coach and current ESPN college football analyst, Dan Mullen. Uh, Dan, you were on vacation recently. We were just talking August is just a month on the college football calendar that like when you're in it, you don't really know that it exists other than for training camp purposes. We're not quite in August yet, but um, getting to spend this time of year like on vacation was your natural mindset like, oh, you know, it's mid-July. I'm just going to go to Hoover for media days. Were you able to escape somewhere a little bit less football centric? Oh yeah. We were, um, you know, we're, we're back. We lived here at, at Reynolds at uh, Lake Oconee. And, uh, so we've been out on the boat a whole bunch. We were over in, in London and Paris with the family and, uh, the, uh, you know, took a family trip. And the nice thing is when you're doing that now, I don't even check my phone. You know I mean? I, I, I it's a bad habit just cause I've had it for so long. Like I pick up my phone now and I'm like, okay, what, what problems? And I'm constantly looking at it and there's no messages. So it's really nice and relaxing that way. And, uh, you know, last August was the first August where, you know, since I was a freshman in high school, probably where, you know, August 1st, I wasn't reporting to training camp, you know, either as a player or as a coach. And it was fantastic. It was, uh, you know, you, you just have a different, very, very different perspective 
perspectives of life, of what's going on and, and family time and being able to enjoy that stuff. Because, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, as a player, a lot of times, you know, you're always kicking into training camp mode. But as a coach, uh, you, you kind of work backwards. Hey, the report date for the players are here. But as a hey, I'm a head coach, you're never really off. The phone's going 24-7, 365. You're recruiting 24-7, 365. You're, you know, it's just nonstop. But the, um, you know, but you'd still try to hit a little like shut it down mode in July. But by, by you know, about July 10th, you're kind of kicking back into summer's over mode, even though it only started three weeks earlier. Um, you know, you're kind of kicking into summer's over mode time to get get, get rolling. And uh, so it's kind of interesting to see that, that the world actually exists and there's stuff that happens in the month of August. Once upon a time, Bear Bryant used to go out to the West Coast and spend six to eight weeks with John McKay in Los Angeles. Like that, he could do that because of the way yeah. the calendar is set up. Now you hear Kirby talking at SEC Media Days about how you know his wife wants to go to Italy, and then he's like, "No, let's you know let's let's stay here. I'm going to stay. We're going to go to Mississippi, and I'm going to be a travel baseball dad for five days." And that's like Kirby's version of getting away. Like you seem like you're really so- soaking in this because that that time. And the time, like the calendar, people don't realize this, like it has changed so much for the college football coach. And it's just wildly different to be able to get away. It is. And, and unfortunately, I think they messed it up for the coaches. And, you know, when the NSA came in with a lot of different rules and they changed things and, and, and done things, uh, I, I don't think they looked at a personal life of the coaches. Like, you know, and I think that was such a, it, it is, it's a hard deal. And to be honest with you, you don't know. I think there was a time probably 25 years ago, there were a lot of coaches from the NFL that wanted to get to college because of a quality of life. And when I talk to coaches now, complete opposite. So many college coaches are trying to get to the NFL for a better quality of life where, you know, the NFL, you have, you have a set schedule. You know, it's a grind, but you have a set schedule. You're off on certain days. You know, when you go home, you're home. If You know, you, hey, on this, when you're not allowed to talk to the player, this is off time. You are off. Go enjoy your family. Go do this. In college football now, they've, they've kind of changed the schedules with so many official visits year-round. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and having them all spring long. And then the fall, the unlimited visits coming up. They kind of keep changing the rules to make sure as a coach, you don't get to see your family. I mean, the, the biggest thing for me is I, I don't, I've, I've missed many games of my kids, you know, I mean, and you can hear it like a Kirby, like it's a big deal for a dad to, to go and say, I get to see my kid play, you know, baseball, whatever it is for a couple of days, because you're watching everybody else's kids, you know, I mean, you're, you're at these games, you're watching other people play, you're going, you're out on the road recruiting, you know, and uh, you're coaching everybody else. It's great to get to enjoy your own family. Would that appeal to you, the, the NFL head coaching thing? Because I know at one point, like there's there's rumors that were out there with you, and and hearing you talk about that that lifestyle, you know, I know you know Urban Urban had his thing with the Jags, and and, and that didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But like, does does that appeal to you if you got that text from your agent being like, hey, NFL opportunities available? Would would that be something you consider? You know, I don't know. I kind of enjoy the TV life right now. I, I, you know, you're in the game. I, um, I really enjoyed last year. I got the opportunity. I'm in studio. I've got to call games with ESPN, uh, you know, and do a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I've really enjoyed that and it's been a lot of fun. So, um, 
I don't know if I'll head back to coaching anytime soon. You never say never, you know, in, in, in this world, you never say never, but uh, you know, a lot of people you get, get the bug, you get the itch. And there's so many things you miss about coaching. I, I there's, you know, you miss the team, the camaraderie, um, being around everybody, you know, you miss the, the competitiveness, the game day atmosphere. You miss being out on the practice field, just all the football things. Um, uh, there's so many little things you miss, but then there's a lot of things you don't miss, uh, you know, that comes in and, and, you know, you start thinking about it. Okay. If I go in, it is, it's not just life consuming for you. It's life consuming for your whole family. You know, I sit there and I say, Hey, I, boy, I really miss this in coaching, but I do really enjoy watching my son play basketball or play golf or go to his football game, you know, or go to my go watch my my daughter do her different events and sitting out of the park and getting to watch them play, spending time taking the family on a vacation and spending quality time together. You, you, you start to weigh all of those things. You think, okay, there's these opportunities. I mean, there were, they, I had opportunities last, you know, last, last winter, got a lot of calls and opportunities and be like, okay, you know, you get excited about the things you miss and then you start thinking, you're saying, you know what, I, I kind of, I like how I'm living my life right now. I used to talk to Chizik about this a lot because he was in that kind of similar <laughs> spot where it's like, yeah, Chizik would look up and be like, my life is great. I, I can do the studio thing. I know I'm good at it. You get to work during the year. He had his speaking engagements and stuff like that. And then even during the week, during the football season, he's like, I could just take my wife. We could just get away for like three or four days and yeah, I might be calling a game over the weekend, but you develop this life. You love like, it's very obvious. Like you love the studio gig. You love being able to call games. Like when I saw you on the call with my guy, Matt Barry, I had this realization, like Dan Mullen could do this for a really long time and he <laughs> could do this for the rest of his life and then never come back to coaching. How do you feel kind of about your experience there and just being able to, to learn that, that the media side of this? Well, it's been fun. You know, you get to work with guys like Matt Berry. We have such a great time, you know, and I've been with Kevin Nagandi and in, in studio, I've been either with, you know, a lot of times I'm with Kevin Nagandi and Big Booger McFarlane or I'm, you know, with Matt Berry and, and Joey Galloway. And uh, you just have a great time with those guys and you do it all. You know, one of the things that that has been fantastic and I appreciate it, like the, the first game I ever got to call was with Matt Berry. Mm -hmm. And so it was great because I kind of I knew him and we had already worked together in, in studio some. But it's great, you know, like I mean, everyone helps so much of of learning and you're learning. And it's kind of funny. The the feed off is he's like, your expertise on the football side is so above and beyond everybody else that's on in this production right now. But and I'm like, and your expertise on the TV side is above and beyond. So listen, you when it comes to TV related stuff, he'd be like, hit this button, do this, talk now. He'll be like, Shh, don't talk. <laughs> but then it's like when it's time to talk, he's like, you're saying stuff that that you know we didn't know. I remember, uh, you know, it's pretty fun. I'm like, hey, watch, they're gonna run this play right now, and they run it. And then the next commercial is like, how do you know? they're going to do that. I'm like, you just, you, I mean, you just know, you know, you just know, cause I've coached for so long. I've seen it. And he's like, it's, it's crazy. The stuff that you see in the box, but, uh, but it is a lot of fun. The TV life allows you to be very involved in the game. I love, you know, football has been a part of my life since, you know, you're as, as long as I can remember, you know, football, your life kind of, my life's revolved around football. And so, you're still, the TV allows you to be very involved, very part of the game. Uh, 
even though it's slightly different than what I've known in the past. But you know what? It's allowed me to kind of uh, uh, live a, a really good life, you know, um, and and enjoy time with my family. My kids are still young where I get to go enjoy them and be around them and, and see them grow and go to their events. Um, and I think that that's that that's a huge deal. And and I really wish the NSA would really kind of look at their calendar. Like if, if they want to fix college football, I mean, everyone's like, boy, there's so many problems. There's so many issues with college football. I think that the, the problem is, is you keep trying to put a finger in the dam, if you will. You know, it's like, and then something else is going up. They, they, they should just start over, start the schedule, start the rules, start everything over. Um, and, you know, and go from scratch and let's set up stuff that makes sense for the academic calendar that fits the schools as best it can, that for the quality of life of the student athlete, for the quality of life of everybody involved, there's got to be a better way to set it up than where it is right now. If the college football ever did break away from the NCAA, which I think that's going to happen, that would be the upside is seeing hopefully <laughs> you just start from scratch and you're like, all right, let's just well, start the, everything you know, the biggest, You know the biggest problem? Is I always laugh at this, and because you have, you know, everyone goes to the spring meetings, like the SEC goes to Destin, right? Well, the problem comes is everyone's so competitive, right? So it's got to start from the coaches. This is what we need to. This this would be a great way to do it. But you sit in that SEC meeting, that meeting room, right? And if I say something, and I'm the head coach of Florida, I mean, hey, I think this is a great idea. Kirby immediately got to be a bad idea because if it was my idea, it must be something that it benefited me and was bad for him. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, and it was, you know, you're at Mississippi state, whoever the head coach would be at old miss at the time. But like, if I said something when I'm the head coach of Mississippi state, old miss, like that can't be good. And then Nick's like, Hmm, is, is this for him to get an edge on us at Alabama? How is this going to work? It's like the conference schedule and right so, now. So you, that's like the, oh, that's so like what everybody's doing. Yeah. You can't get anything done that way. So then if there is something that we all agree on, we're going to put this out. We all agree in the SEC. Immediately, the Big Ten thinks, well, that can't be a good idea because it's good for the SEC. It can't be good for the Big Ten. So the, the problem is, is you kind of need maybe a committee of retired ADs, retired coaches, like, and not old, way retired because you got to have a little bit of touch on the modern era. Some people, and it doesn't even have to be head coaches, right? people that are involved in the game. Get assistant coaches, get some strength, like some people that aren't in so they don't have a vested interest in any specific program or league right now and say, all right, let's sit down and really look at what is the best way to do this. And that's just how it's going to be moving forward and not, you know, and and because because everybody's going to everybody thinks it's they or suspicious that it can't be good for them. If, it, if it's good for somebody it, if for, if, you know, if it's good for Ohio State, it can't be good for Michigan. You know, it just can't happen. I think we found a good way to to also get you some more work if you're not going to get back into coaching. Just <laughs> yeah, that this, seems this like a lot of work for me. That seems like a little too much work for me at this point. Yeah, but. <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, I love seeing you fire off these these tweets with predictions and whatnot. Like, I I don't think you responded to any of those replies. But if you're if you're going to be doing those this year, and I don't know if you got like somebody that's setting you, up your you, account or something like that, but just dunk on one person. Just dunk on one person. Pick the one person in the replies on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. And just dunk on them when they clap back at you. Can we can we get that to happen this year? You want me to? Oh, maybe. You know what? It is. I'm, I am transforming. Does that you know into the media side of things where you actually can do that as a coach? You would be like, 
Never. You never do any. Like you don't, you know, you I, you respond to fans and say nice things to them. But, you know, uh, there is. Like when I predict and I do things, I mean, people go they, the people get so mad. They get ballistic. A player of the week. You didn't pick this guy. I might, I will start maybe kind of getting a little bit more into it of uh, the social media, because now you're getting more comfortable to being on the media side of things and, and having fun with people a little bit. And I, I can be a little bit more controversial. Now in year two, maybe I can be a little bit more controversial. Year one, I was kind of, I didn't want to kind of put myself out there too far, but uh, year two, I can maybe be a little more controversial on things. I, I would love to see it. I would retweet every single time you would come back over the top of someone. That like we would we would make sure that that, that would happen. SDS would retweet it every single time. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be great content. We'd love to see it. Um, I, I want to go back to to when you took the Florida job um, because I think there are a lot of different opinions about you know kind of that move. You don't see a lot of moves within the SEC very much yeah. um, in, in this era. Nick Fitzgerald came on the show a few months ago and said that if you had stayed at Mississippi State, that 2018 team could have won the West and made the playoff. What, what are your thoughts yeah. on that and kind of that whole situation? You know what? There, I, I think that was definitely a, a possibility. That team was loaded, uh, had, had a lot of great players, a, a phenomenal defense. Um, and at Mississippi State, I, I think one of the things we had gotten to there is we'd win consistently – and then every couple of years, maybe we had an opportunity to compete for a championship. You know, back in 2014, we did. And then it was 2018 again. Uh, and I think it's hard because you, 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 we got to the program where people almost say, we want to compete for a championship every single year. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot. There's very few schools, I think, out there that can do that. That every year you should expect to minimally be in a New Year's Six Bowl. You know what I mean? And you're right on the edge of competing for a championship. Uh, you know, you look at last year's a great example, TCU. You know, I mean, they got all the way. They they had the run this magical season. But the year before, they you know, they, I, you don't expect that to happen again this year, and it certainly didn't happen the year before for them. You know, now, so Mississippi State was that way, and, and that was a year. And one of the things um, – I'd thought about it. I'd thought, you know, I'd kind of brought Mississippi State to this great level of being a, a regular, consistent winner with a champion, a chance to compete. I, if, if I was going to leave, I'm leaving the program in a great position. You know, I'm leaving it much better than when I found it uh, in every aspect of things. And I, I didn't know if there was moving forward – if I had stayed one more year, I, I think I'd kind of brought the program as far as I was going to break it. And I was ready for, uh, personally, almost ready for a new challenge at that point. And, but I wasn't going to leave to go anywhere. I, I really wasn't. I, I love Starkville. You know, um, I, if, if you had to associate me with coaching somewhere, you say, Hey, where's, you know, what is your school? Where what is your school that you coached at? I'd say Mississippi State. That would be the school I would claim. That was the, you know. Um, and we loved our time there. I just thought, okay, I, I'm it's it's all it's getting close to a change. You know, it's getting close to maybe, you know, my my end, time to move on, try a new challenge. And the one thing if I had stayed one more year and left, boy, you know, I'm I'm walking out after having a great year, the next year is going to be a rebuilding year. Um, 
is that the right time? And then it had to be the right situation. I thought Florida was the right situation. I mean, Florida to me is a school that you could go, you know, if you got it going right, um, you can compete for, it's one of the schools you can compete for championships every year. We went to, we went to three New Year's six bowl games in the four years I was there. And, um, so you can do that, you know, and I, but in the, the, the thing I guess in Florida is I also knew what I was walking into that they were 20 years behind in college football, in facility, in everything. They were just beyond behind. So you could compete to win, but it was going to take a couple of years to get the program to championship level because you have, you have no, you have no facilities. You have nothing to recruit to. Um, in today's college football, the kids are interested in, and you know, um, that made it that you knew, I knew what I was walking into. So I, I don't know good or bad, but it made that decision easier as I'm familiar with the scene. I know what I'm walking into. I'm walking into a place that you can have the opportunity to win a championship every single year. Uh, and I've kind of brought Mississippi state to this top level and you know, it, there's never going to be a good time to leave. Uh, and, but I didn't want to stay for my ego, if you will. You know, I, you look back and people tell me, boy, you left a great team. I think I was five or six wins away from being the winningest coach in the history of the school. Uh, all these things, but I didn't want to kind of do all that, then walk out the door too, if I was going to leave the following year, which you, you don't know. You, you know, you never know what would have, how it would have played out, but I just thought it was maybe time for me to move on. Um, and I thought I did leave the, the program in a great, great place. Your start at Florida, I think, was ideal in a lot of ways, and it's easy for for some to kind of overlook just how good those first two years were. And, and I remember, I think I spent like an hour researching this, but you were the first coach to ever start off at a new school with two New Year's Six Bowl or BCS Bowl victories. And I tell yeah. people to this day, like, I remember being there for, for the LSU game, and the Brad Stewart pick six is yeah. to this day the loudest thing that these ears have ever heard. Can, <laughs> can you just back me up on that? Because I get a lot of people that will push back on me, but like, this, is that moment like all time for you in terms of a stadium erupting? Oh, it is. I, I think I did it. I had some different deals, and I did it before the season a couple of years ago. We did it, uh, you know, what you see on TV, and then the ground level, and it had the audio on it. On And I think I put them out on Twitter, one of those deals. And you hear it's like a jet engine taking off. Yes. I mean, like being on a runway and a jet engine's taking off of how deafening it was. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was out of control. And, uh, you know what? And actually was, it was such a huge play because they were, they were a really good team. And I think it kind of brought the mindset of the players when we got to Florida that we can go play with anybody. You know, hey, we, we, actually, we are pretty good. Hold on a second. We're a really good football team, and we can go compete with anybody in the country. And and we did from that point forward. In any normal world, <laughs> I, I think after that that year two, the extension for you gets done. And, and you're locked in for another six years of Florida. How, how much did everything that happened with COVID hurt the timing of that deal? Because I, I thought without <laughs> that deal locked in, it sort of set the stage for just a, a very atypical situation in year three. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Well, year three, the COVID year, I think kind of like you, you did, it was, I, I don't know, like the administration of Florida is the administration of Florida, you know, and, and, and a tricky part. And, and you look at it and see now they finally have maybe caught up, you know, they're finally 
put together a budget. It looks like, you know, when, 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 when Billy Napier came in, they finally put together a budget that competes with other teams in the SEC. They finally finished and moved into a facility where kids can actually visit campus. And, you know, it's not, hey, our meetings in the basement of a locker room and, and hey, what do we do post-practice for, you know, how do you do recovery for your team? There's like a bucket, a trash bucket with ice in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like they're, they actually have a, a technology and stuff that they can, that kids show up and be like, oh, I, I, this is a good place to come. Um, so I think that's hard. I think COVID year was always tough because I think in year three at Florida, I looked and I said, okay, I thought we had a championship team. And I think to win a championship, there's a couple things that go into it. You have to have the talent, Right. You have to have the schedule and you have to have the health. And I thought we had a championship team going into year three. Our schedule going into that COVID year was like, a, you know, you couldn't ask for like a better schedule. Every time there was going to be, a, I think our, our crossover games were um, LSU at home and at Old Miss, right? So okay, we 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 should be able to get both teams from the West. Um, every time we had a big game coming up, we had kind of a an, an easier one before and an easier one after. So like it wasn't there was no hangover effect, you know. I mean, there uh, if we were able to stay healthy, you know, we we could make a run at this. Um, and I think COVID kind of threw us off. Um, and even as the year went on, you know, we pick up. Somehow we pick up Texas A&M. Like we had a road game at Texas A&M, who was probably, you know, one of the the better teams in the country that year. And happens to be the furthest trip that you possibly can take in a COVID year. You know, like we didn't schedule the closest team to us, the furthest team. Then we have COVID, the whole COVID part. We have to shut the program down. Then the players were kind of not sure they wanted to play anymore, um, to be honest with you. After, like, I mean, it was kind of like, hey, Teams are backing out. Like it, it was just such a strange year. And I think that made it really tough. And, and as a coach, it was, it, it weighed a lot on you because it was disappointing. You know, you're looking and say, Hey, we, you know, we, we went and, and, you know, we, we have a great year finishing the top 10 and beat Michigan uh, in the peach bowl. Then the next year we, we have a great year and we beat Virginia in the orange bowl and finish in the top 10. And now we have a chance to go be a championship team. Uh and COVID, I think, kind of threw us off. I don't know. We, you know, we still had our chance. I guess at the end, we lost to six by to Alabama, uh, and then they kind of rolled through the playoffs afterwards. Uh, that you know, in a, in a COVID year, maybe we would have been had a chance to be undefeated going into that Alabama game. If you lose that, you get another shot at them in the playoffs or one of those deals. So that was really interesting, you know. And and as you said, it, I think it was kind of a, I don't know, the deal, and and they what the deal was never getting a new contract, you know, until later. And then, you know, a, a different type of contract post COVID it was, it was always like a sticking point or something. Uh, you know, and then my fourth year, the hardest one for us, I guess, going into the fourth year is within the program, we knew we were going to be in kind of a rebuilding year, but a bunch of guys leave early for the draft. Uh, you know, it was still in the transition year of, when I got the job, you know, the facility was about to be finished to help us in recruiting and, you know, with kids coming in and saying, Hey, you can, 
you know, we, we don't, we don't have to walk a half mile across campus to practice. Like there were so many little things. Have you ever been to Florida? Like they, they were just behind, you know, it was kind of like, Hey, coach Spurrier didn't need this in the nineties. Why does anybody today need it? And I said, well, you know, the football's changed. And, uh, so I think there was a lot of that that went into it and you were in the rebuilding here. And I think one of the worst things that happened to us in that my last year there is we played Alabama. I think it was week three, uh, had a chance to um, maybe win the or tie the game at the end on a two point conversion, and guy went the wrong way um, on the play. And but we played with them, and right there, and everybody thought I, we were sitting there saying, "Hey, we played an unbelievable game," and everybody thought, "Okay, this team's really good." When we kind of knew on the inside. We came out and played absolutely the best we could. Alabama probably didn't play their best that day. And we're in a little bit of a rebuilding process here. And everybody thought, hey, this is just going to roll into another New Year's Six. Let's go get a win, go go win it. And and it didn't happen. And and Florida decided to make a change after that season. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of different moments you could look back on your career and say, what if? And look, looking back oh. at, at the time in Florida, I mean, it's it's loaded. Like if that if that extension gets done in, in February, I think it's a. I just think it's a different conversation. I think we see. I've always thought we'd see a different version of you that that season yeah. and expectations. You know, if we we look back on on Alabama and what they were 2021, 2022, they played in all these close games. I mean, I bring up the set all the time. It's like twelve of their sixteen SEC games were one score games in the fourth quarter. And it's like, yep. well, you guys were kind of at the beginning of that. That became a little bit more of of the standard. But um, I gotta ask. I've always wondered. The Darth Vader costume. G- give yeah. me the details. Who who thought of it? And did you have a costume ready if you had lost to Mizzou that night? Okay, so here was the deal is. So we had, it, and it was kind of funny. It, and, it, and, and I guess how the game played out and the costume are very different. So that was our first game back from a COVID break. Right. So we'd been shut. The program had been shut for a couple of weeks. So, you know, I think one of the hardest things that year, and I think that people don't, get into is you're practicing and training all week, right? You're coming in, taking a COVID test, you know, almost every day and you're going through training, you're going, you're practicing and you take a COVID test on Friday to let you know whether or not you're going to play the game the next day. Gosh, I mean, you got to think we're in the middle of practice and getting ready for LSU and they walk in and say, your program's now shut. Everyone go home, lock yourself away. And then you're coming back, say, okay, you're going to play, but we will check Friday. Maybe you play, maybe you don't. We haven't played in a couple of weeks. And it was like, and so I'm talking to guys. I'm like, and it would happen to be Halloween weekend. I said, how do we loosen things up, right, on this game? How do we just relax things? So John Clark, who's the director of operations, he and I are getting together. He's like, hey, I got a Darth Vader. Let's, you know what you should do? wear a Darth Vader costume into the team meeting on like the last team meeting or wear it walking into the stadium. Like just see if you can get everybody just to laugh and breathe for one second, you know, the team. Cause I mean, it, it, it took a mental toll on everybody, the stress that went into that COVID year. And so the whole thing was planned as a let's relax and have fun. Right. And so it was in my locker, like, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do it because I don't want the game to seem like a joke before the game. 
right? Before we even get in there. Like, cause you can't lose that. You can't wear a Darth Vader costume and then lose that game. And you that, lose that, the game or something happened. I'm, and even though I'm just trying to put a smile, like I'm trying to get our kids to remember we're playing a game. You guys are young college kids. You know, I mean, just, just, just relax for a second. So we do it. So I'm like, Hey, we win the game post game. I'm going to go in the locker room with the costume on and we'll go cry. Like, just try to have for a minute, let the kids smile. Cause it was, nothing was normal. Nothing. Yeah. Everything was tense. All that nobody ever smiled. I mean, you were having, you are, we had an, a tent for a locker room next to the, like in the parking lot, um, that you'd get dressed at our meetings were in an open air state. Like it was just the weirdest thing you've ever been in. Nothing was normal. I'm like, all right, let's just see if we can put a smile on the kids' faces you know, from here. So I wear it into the locker room and everyone's like going crazy, dancing, having a fun time. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? It's fun. I'll wear it to the press conference. I mean, you know what? Everybody needs to relax and loosen up for a second. Um, but it got taken as part of, Oh, you're doing this from the events and like kind of the, the brawl that happened during the game. Um, and they were completely separate situations that everybody kind of immediately added together because to be honest with you by I'd kind of forgot about everything at halftime by the middle of the third quarter I'm trying you're trying to win the game like you know what hey I you could see I mean they like you're uh, you are wound so t- everyone was wound so tight that year for all the other things that are going on that you know, um, you're trying to find a minute to relax. And so I'm, I'm not surprised there were like more shouting and shelling, shouting and yelling matches that year and stuff than other years, but it was wound pretty tight. So just the timing of it was probably bad. If there, if I, I think this, if there wasn't the incident during the game, people would have thought it was really funny, which was the whole purpose of the deal. Agreed. A hundred percent. But yeah, after, after everything that happened at that time, when you show up there, I'm like, all right, sure. Like surely Dan Mullen is just pranking everybody. And there's no way that this, like this process is playing out. And it was, it was one of those bizarre things. You're just like, man, 2020 is just weird. It's just weird. And do you, is there a part of you that wishes you could just throw that season away and just, just like have continued your career? Because as great as it was to have number one offense, do the things that you guys did, you beat George that year there's probably a lot of elements you're like, that was just so atypical. And a lot of out of character things happened for you that year. I do. I think, I think it added a lot of different stress uh, of things. I think everybody's stressed. I think a lot of things that year were, and even different things taken out of context. Like, you know, I mean, I'm like, we're playing Texas and I mean, that place was rocking. And I'm like, hey, we need to pack the swamp. We need to get people to swamp. Everyone's like, well, you're you're a super spreader event now. I'm like, no. I mean, we need people to be excited to come to a football game and try to create a little bit of an atmosphere because you play in one of the games and it's an empty stadium and it's eerie. It, it, it's a weird feeling. And we went to A&M and it, it felt, I, I can't say normal, but you heard crowd noise. You heard the people. You know, and then it's like, well, you're trying to create a super spreader event. I'm like, Pat, like you want everybody sold out. I'm like, whatever, just get people in the, the building. Oh no, you, you're trying like, uh, so I, I think everybody was so much on edge looking for whatever they can create issues. And, you know, for me that year, I think we had a great team. Um, and I think it was a lot of frustrating things going on. It was very frustrating for me. I'm very much a, a creature of habit. And when you have to destroy every habit, um, 
you know, people like you have superstitions. I never had superstitions playing like that much. I mean, a little bit, I, I kind of, I, I was more routine based. You know, I was like, I had to wear this, a certain t-shirt or one of those. I know I just had a routine base and I love the routine. I think your routine and your preparation leads to success. If you have a great routine and we always did and having to throw everything in your routine off. Um, and it, it, it made it tough and I made it, uh, I think a lot more stressful. And then probably a couple little things that got happened that got blown out of proportion, um, for everybody made things worse and, you know, made it, I guess, easy for people to, to kind of make you a target at that point. Like, Hey, everybody was looking for targets because nobody was right. I mean, I mean, it, who, who created like what, why are we having to live our life this way? There's gotta be, we gotta have targets at people. And so I, I ended up being one that season. Do you root for Florida now? Um, no, I root for their players. You know, I root for players and it's, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of my high school friends I'm really close with and they're all mad. They're like, like fall's not the same. I said, what do you mean? Like we don't have a team to root for. Cause we all, they all went to like small college up in the Northeast and a lot of people go to small colleges. So they're like, Hey, you know, I mean, we're Mississippi state fans forever. Then we became Florida fans. We don't really have a team to root for anymore. So you need to get back to coaching so we can enjoy fall and have our team to root for. Um, but I, I view it in, in college a lot, you know, I'll, I'll watch more, um, of the players. It's kind of like the NFL people like, Hey, who's your team in the NFL? I root for my players. You know, I mean, I, if I'm watching the, the Cowboys play, play the Eagles, which, you know, is I'm rooting for Dak with the Cowboys and, you know, Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay with the Eagles and, you know, a bunch of, a couple other guys I know in the Eagles, but, you know, I kind of root for the players. So I was, I watched and I wanted the players to do really well last year. You know, Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson did it. You wanted, you know, you knew, I thought last year at Florida with an Anthony Richardson, we would have had an opportunity. I thought we had a couple of kids that were playing and we were going to hit the transfer portal, Uh, a good recruiting class coming in and a, you know, a a solid defensive line, you know, a couple of those guys get, got drafted this year, you know, that would have helped, helped out that if you could have stayed healthy again, you know, that the the last year we had some of the bad injuries. Your team captain goes out for the whole year when Ventrell Miller got hurt. That hurt us that my last season there a lot that hurt the locker room. You know, I mean, here's our leader and the guy that kind of leads us. Uh, and he was coming back for another year. And so I thought there were a lot going to be a lot of positives into that next season. So I wanted to see the players do well. If you had gotten Anthony to be able to, you know, be be your guy, and I know there was a lot made about the starting battle between he and Emery, you know, your last season there. But if you had been able to, in theory, have a full season with him at that stage of his career where he's in yeah. year three, because he was still very football young, people forget. What do you think his potential would have been if you had gotten that that pre-draft think, season with him? I think the same thing that you saw them going as the fourth pick in the draft. I mean, people see that in there. I think the hard one is, you know, um, back in that 2021 season is we kept trying to get him in, you know, I mean, you, he, and he kept, he kept getting hurt. Um, you know, we place, I remember we play South Florida and he just goes off and like, I mean, as a human highlight reel in that game and we have Alabama the next week and I said, okay, he's going to be a problem for Alabama guys and pulls his hamstring. So he's out for two weeks, a couple weeks. So, you know, then he comes back and, um, 
you know, we kind of start to break him in again to get that extra, get him to the level where he's ready to go. We start him against Georgia, he gets a concussion, he's out for a couple weeks. You know, so it kind of was this never ending deal of creating him to be the starter, right? It was like, hey, okay, we want to get you coming in. We, you know, you, you had Emory Jones, who, who, I mean, at times played really well during the season, did some things. And then you have Anthony who's special. So, hey, we got Emory playing. We're playing both of you. And we're going to get, okay, Anthony's now ready. Like we, we got him that kind of confidence built up in this one game. He's going to start the next and he gets hurt. And then all of a sudden he gets healthy. Okay, I got. I want to get his confidence up a little bit instead of just throwing him in to get him to start, and he got hurt. And you know, it was one of those. That was that was really frustrating. There, there were so many, like I always said, like so many little things go in uh, to a season of, of where you where you are, uh, and what happens at games. Um, you know, if you always look at Florida, I always laugh at it. You know, the, 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 the championships are even number years, right? They get That's LSU at home. They get, they get an extra home game. Cause I think the Georgia is considered an away game in Jacksonville and even, even number. So like your schedule plays out and it, it's you, when you really look at things, I look at schedules as much as for some people, right? Like you look at this year in college football, the PAC 12, I think could be the most exciting league in college football this year. Agreed. Can't wait. I hope I get to see some of the games because well, I mean, one, I'll get to see them on satellite feed in studio usually, but you know, they're not on, like, I think people could be missing out if they're not showing all these games, but I looked at the schedule. I mean, they have four legit top 20, top probably 15 teams with Utah, Washington, Oregon, and USC. They all play each other. And Oregon state is good enough with their running game with all the runner got the offensive line coming back, the running backs, but and you got to go to Corvallis. That's scary game. UCLA with Chip Kelly. That's a scary game. You know, I mean, for some of these other, so they could 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 go and eat each other up. When you go look at the schedule, you could have you know some of the best teams in the country in the Pac-12 this year. They eat each other up. Where you look this year for like Georgia and people are like, hey, how's you know what do you think? Well, I start with Georgia's got a tremendous amount of talent and their schedule looks pretty simple. Yeah. To be honest with you, you know, um, the, um, you know, 2021 at Florida, you go back and you say, okay, why, why coach, why do you think it's a rebuilding year? We had a lot of guys leave to the NFL. We play Alabama and LSU as our two crossover games with LSU being on the road. (laughs) Makes sense. um, That tends to, even if you're in, even if you have a great team that year, there's a couple more, you know, landmines along the schedule that you have to go face. So, like, I mean, we live and people are like, hey, George, I said, I, 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 unless Georgia stubs their toe, which is they could easily do, I see them going undefeated into the SEC championship game. The problem is if they lose that game this year, is the rest of what they've done strong enough to knock out the Ohio State Michigan winner in the Big, um, Big Ten? to knock out a Pac-12 champion that played a legit schedule and potentially knock out a Clemson or Florida State or uh Oklahoma Tech a Big 12 winner because they don't have they don't have a great schedule and they don't have a conference champion and they're they're so like I I that could be an issue for them depending on how the rest of the year stays out uh, that there could be conference championships that knock out the loser of the SEC championship game, no matter where they were going into the game. 
I would hope George is going to get the benefit of the doubt in that spot. I think when you win consecutive <laughs> national championships, it's like you can go 12 and one, you win an SEC championship. Like SEC champ has an automatic bid in college ball playoff as far as I'm concerned. But like the, the, the criteria has to be different. I, I would think for think, Georgia. Yeah, but it's, and it's going to depend though on that. That's the deal for them. That, that could go get tricky this year. That, that'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out in the end. Because if, if I mean, if you have an undefeated USC, they're in. Yeah. Uh, undefeated Ohio State, Michigan, they're in. SEC champ is in. Then what does it look like after that? That's the great there's, question. There's a spot, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, or, you know, or it gets down to what's going to be interesting, which I think is, is if there is a one-loss conference champion at the end of the year. If you're a one-loss conference champion, do you get in over a one-loss non-champion? Not a conference champion. Yeah, not a conference champs are created equal. Agreed. Agreed. That'd be funny. It'd be fun to see. Everybody's kind of wondering uh, this version of Georgia. Like, uh, what's what's the the next step for them? Will they end up looking like the 2000s Florida Florida teams that, that you were that you were a part of? And you know, are they going to have this this team that like competes for championships and then all of a sudden it's wildly different and and it falls off because of you know off field issues or anything like that i don't necessarily think that's going to be the case but you know time will tell nobody would have been predicting that while you were at florida when you were the offensive coordinator there i'm assuming you were going to be in the swamp kings documentary on netflix oh yeah that's about oh, yeah. what, what what are we in for can you give us a little sneak preview of that i think it's going to be really exciting i i you know i haven't seen the final cut i've talked to some people that saw it i haven't watched the final cut of it yet um but they say it's fantastic. So, I mean, it's going to be really, really good. Because, I mean, you, you look, I think it's covering – I don't I don't know how far it goes because my – obviously, I was there from 2005 to 2008. So, I don't know what they got going after that um, in my part of it all. Um, but, you know, in, in – in, in 2005 through 2008 was, was pretty exciting. I know 2009 for them was, I mean, they finished, I think like number two in the country or whatever it was, uh, lost out the SEC championship game to Alabama, which would have been really interesting in the modern, like you're saying, they might've won another one that year if there was a playoff system, because Florida probably would have gotten in the 14 playoff and another shot at out of Florida, Alabama rematch would have been a pretty interesting deal. Um, with Tebow and all those guys final year. That's um, true. So, but I think it's going to be really good. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, do you have a, a cam story that, that stands out? Cause I was watching a video of him recently of like even some of the plays he was making early at Florida where he just trucked uh, the you, dude and the entire bench is just freaking out. Like I imagine you saw stuff like that all the time. You knew he was special. Right. And, and, and it was, you know, I think it was like the year after, um, Tim won the Heisman, right? So in so you're going into the in the 2008, which was my last year there, and we're I remember being in a meeting and I remember Urban saying, "Okay, who's okay? Who, let's go, you know, end of spring ball. Like, all right, who's our best? We're getting whatever the meeting, going through position by position, go through thing, go go through the best quarterback." I said, honestly, I think Cam's the most talented quarterback. Cam might be the best quarterback, and. Urban, like, I mean, flips out. Like, I mean, one of those flips out. I, he said, what? You know, Tim won the Heisman last year. This, I said, well, you didn't. You just said who was the best. I said, I think Tim gives us our best chance to win the experience where he is right now. Um, Tim's our starter. 
but you said who the best quarterback was. And I said, Cam. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think people see it. I, I mean, to this day, I mean, I, 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 if you ask me, Tim Tebow is the greatest college football player in the history of the game. I don't think there's, I, and, and I love, you can do all the arguments. You can do all the different things. Um, oh, is it like a Heisman runner up twice, one, one, two national titles, three time, first team all America. I mean, it's, I don't think you'll get to it because guys will leave early now. Didn't leave early. Did, you know, I mean, in his career, hard pressed to say he's not the best having a career. When you go look at what he did, best college football player in the history of the game. Uh, not most talented. He wasn't even the most talented guy on our team. Percy Harvin was the most talented guy on our team. Her Percy Harvin is the, like the, the, the most talented guy I've ever seen. Um, but I remember that story because you just saw in Cam, like he can, he, he is a special, special talent, um, you know, that at the quarterback position and do things. Anthony Richardson is the closest thing I've seen to Cam Newton. Um, he can do things with size and arm strength and speed and quickness. You know, he, he gets in the open field and he looks like he's a hundred meter champion and, you know, he can make you miss and he's doing all this at 245, 250 pounds. Uh, so Cam was special. I, I always had a great relationship with Cam. I was always such a huge, you know, a huge Cam Newton fan and I think when I left, he he had had some issues at Florida. Um, I think when I left, and and for them, and I I remember the deal, the family, and said, "Hey, you're not going to be there. Cam loves playing for you. You guys have a great relationship. We don't know who they're going to bring in. He's had some off the field deals. Tim's going to be back for you know. Tim's still going to be there. I think we need a fresh start. You know." Uh, can you help us? Well, you know, in today's world, it would have been amazing because he, in today's world, he would have immediately been at Mississippi State with me probably the next year. Uh, but I, we helped him go to junior college, get set. He went through the recruiting process, ended up going to Auburn, which is right, right near his house uh, on the side of Atlanta he lives on. And, uh, you know, um, he had an, uh, an unbelievable career. Um, both in college and the NFL, which you knew that would happen because he had that ability. Florida win a national championship in 2010 if he if he stays out of trouble and is able to stay at Florida? Hmm. Probably. Well, I don't who won in 10? Auburn. Cam. Oh yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I thought, boy, I thought we might have won if he came to Mississippi State. We might have won it in 10. You know, I mean, we were finished, I think, like 12th and 15th in the country that year. And we would have beaten Auburn for sure. And I think we lost double overtime to Arkansas. So that would have been two. And he might have been good enough to beat Alabama or or LSU for us to get us there. Um, Yeah, I think they probably would have um, if he would have stayed. This has been awesome. Uh, I know you got you got you want to spend the the afternoon on the boat. Sounds like beautiful weather up there. Uh, I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire. Just five questions. Yeah. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Absolutely. All right. Uh, peak Tebow, peak Cam, or peak Dak. Who are you taking in a one-game win-or-go-home scenario? Uh, in college football? College football. Oh, boy, peak is hard. Probably Cam because of his running ability, and in in one game, uh, 
and, and but they all peaked at such different times. True. Dak's still peaking. <laughs> all right, that's that's a good that's point. A, Dak is still peaking, so I don't know that we've gotten there yet. I watched him the other day. Like right now, oh, you know, watching him. The will to win, Tebow's will to win is crazy. Cam's individual talents, unbelievable. That's a, that's always a tough one. But I, I, Dak, actually, their team, they did it like a workout and they came here to Lake Kona. They, they, they did something here where they, you know, they get the receivers and I got to go watch them a little bit. Uh, I still think he's peaking. I don't think he's there yet. I still think he's going. And I don't know a college football team that would ever be able to stop him with how he's throwing the ball now. How many pairs of Jordans are in your closet right now? <sighs> I've, I've tweaked it down. Um, and I've, I've transitioned back to, I'm probably only at about 15 pairs of Jordans, but I got a bunch of Yeezy Adidas as well. So, I mean, I still have a bunch of Yeezy. I'm still an Adidas guy too. So I have a little bit of mix, you know, and then I have a whole bunch of Peter Millar as well. I'm kind of into that kind of the, the dressy, dressy sneaker. Okay. So I've, I've, I've kind of, I've gone a little bit more, not, not one, but I, I do still have some pretty cool Jordans. Yeah, never give those And away. some really cool – I have some some really cool Adidas stuff as well too, though. Can't wear those when you're a floor, but now you're, you're good. Like yeah, those now are, I'm a free agent. I, yeah. I, can wear, I wear it. Yeah. Um, when, uh, when Eli Drinkowitz walked off with the, the May the Force Be With You line, when you saw that – and I know like a lot of things going on. That's like your last game and all that stuff. But, but when you saw that and you had time to process that, were you like, all right, that was a pretty good clap back. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah. I didn't see it till weeks later because I had a lot of other things going on in life at that time. But it is. You like I don't get upset about that because uh, but again, it just shows you that everyone had no idea what the whole thing was about. True. Does that make sense? And even when you explain it, it had no like so it really it was, but it wasn't a fit of what I did towards them. It was a Halloween deal. because it wasn't Halloween weekend or one of those deals, but I mean it was. True. He told me he regretted it. The, the the timing of it, like his timing, he he actually was like felt bad about it. Like didn't know all the circumstances and everything like that. But makes sense. But it was. I I think it is in and how it all played out. You know what? It it. I don't think either situation. I think both are kind of funny, and neither situation played out how we both either of us would have envisioned. That's a good point. Okay, that's a good point. I like that. Like it, um, like it wasn't take. It was always taken totally different within what was going on. Fair, perfectly fair. Will Georgia win a third consecutive national title? <sighs> um, I think they're the hands down favorite. Okay, and I think the only team that can beat them is themselves. Okay. So, so if and they, I don't if, think, and it's not on on the field. It's in in the mind. It's that the drive when it's kind of expected, if you will. Is that right? I mean, the, the hardest thing is motivating yourself. Um, you you know, I mean, you're just expected to roll through and go undefeated, and you're better than everybody you're going to play. But a lot of these guys didn't work to get to that point, some of them. You know, some of the guys coming up now, and I don't want to take, take knocks on them, but the, the other guys uh, were coming off some years that were, you know, they had competed for a championship, but they, were, they weren't they were at the every year level yet. 
you know, um, go back to 2020 and all of a sudden, then these guys came in glued together. We're going to work. We're going to make sure that we're this level we win. And you know, the young guys of that are a lot of the guys there, all they've ever been is patted on the back and told how great they are. And that's great. But between the head, it can get you And and you know, in today's world, one losing one game can get you losing one game can knock you out. If it's the wrong game, you're out. And that'll be, that's the only thing I think they could get them. Their mentality of staying focused for the entire season, the benefit they have, I think they, their schedule walks them into the, into it, um, to the end of the season. Just make sure that when you drop that prediction on Twitter, you, you just like leave it like a stink bomb and just let the mentions let pile it go. up when you have the national championship. Yeah. Or just again, pick the one person to dunk on and then, and then and you're go. Good to go. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, um, okay. Last one for you. If, uh, if Marco Wilson doesn't throw a shoe, are you still at Florida? Probably yes. Um, now, obviously, there's so many different things that go into it. Uh, and, uh, but I think there's a chance that of that being the case, you know, which is a tough deal. And who knows? Because there's so many. I mean, I wouldn't picture the reason I'm there that I'm not there because of that. But I think there, because I think we win that game. Uh, I think there's, we win that game. There's a different mindset, how we play Alabama, how the year shakes out. We might even get in the playoffs. We get in the playoffs. I think we, we have a shot. Um, You know, I think a lot of that caused, that domino caused a lot of different things to happen. Agreed. A hundred percent. This is, this has been awesome. I, I really, really appreciate the time. Um, Hope you have some more vacation time coming up, maybe a little bit of boat time in the very near future. I'm going to have to get you back on here during the regular season and, you know, wish you all the best yeah. and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate it. It's, it's great to be on. I always check. I, I, I check what's going on. You guys keep us, I keep me up to date on the news pretty much every day. So hopefully you don't check too much, or at least you weren't like a couple years ago with some of the stories that were well, just like, that's just what I said. You got like, well, you weren't always that nice to me, but now I'm in the media. So that's okay. So no, no the, uh, I no, I check on what goes on and it's, I mean, to me, I just, you get the update on kind of everything in the league in a, in a quick hurry. Yeah, that's that's the goal. That's what that's what we try and do. Well, yeah, like I said, really, really appreciate the time. We'll hopefully do this again soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're gonna get. Figuring out, we're talking about traveling overseas. We, we've done a lot that have kind of overlapped with this. But never, I think, specifically traveling overseas because it's different than traveling within the U.S. or even just traveling to Canada or going to Mexico or you know, Cabo or something like that. I think there is a different set of circumstances that go into this. And we're doing this because I prematurely uh, said goodbye to you before we we recorded this. <laughs> forgetting I was like, gonna- dang, I'm disinvited from the next one. All right. See you, bro. I uh, know. So my bad, my bad. Remind us again where and when you will be going so that people can track your your every move because I'm sure you'll be posting on social media about this. Oh, there you go, man. Yeah, so on Monday we're leaving. We're going to Prague. Uh, we're going to be in Prague for three or four days. And we'll be on Ber- we'll be in Berlin uh, for kind of that weekend, a uh, couple days there. And then we're going to London uh, to go see uh, an Arsenal match 
on the pitch out there. Right. So that's going to be fun. Uh, if you guys ever want to feel blessed to be Americans, uh, try to buy tickets to EPL games. Uh, it is the biggest nightmare. I'm not even being dramatic. It, it has taken me months as a person who has bought. Well, this is a group of people who has bought a lot of sports tickets. So I'm probably kind of right in the middle of most of our listeners. Probably, But I go to three or four games a year and everything whooped my butt, man. But I got them. We're all good. We have to we had to split up our group of six people into uh, three groups of two because the whole thing's a lottery. It's like this, you know, the socialism they, go, they got over there, Connor. You can't just buy six tickets together. It's all a lottery based on who's been a, a fan the longest. And so those people didn't sell their tickets. So I'm excited for that, but it's been a process. But yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of checking off my last boxes here before I head out Monday. So you essentially, by yeah, people will be listening to this on Tuesday. So you'll already be mm-hmm. in Europe by the time people are listening to this. Um, but but so you essentially, you can't just like go on to a StubHub or something like that and buy EPL tickets. You have to go mm-hmm. through some different third-party source and try and track it down. That's, that does seem like, like a major Oh, pain. no, dude. You got to go to the club themselves. You got to get a membership with the club. Okay, like a supporter card, okay? okay? And then that supporter card gets entered into a lottery with your group of people. And based on the amount of points and time spent accrued of being a member, that's how they dish out all of their allotment of tickets. And so then some people then take those to other sites we've never heard of. Uh, LiveFootballTickets.com, for instance, weird sites like that. You got to see if they're scams. Uh, so yeah, it's funny because the people at the top that can guarantee you more tickets together obviously have been in this scam longer. So it's like, who are you guys really benefiting here? Because if you if you have like a family season ticket to Arsenal, you could have had that for 50 years and you've sold it for 40 of them. So it still doesn't help anything. It just makes everything more complicated. So is there roughly a 30 or 40% chance that you're going to have the same thing that happened to you for the Super Bowl happen to you again when you get there and you have seats that do not exist and you realize that you've been scammed is is there a probability of that or no um well also my mom will be there which is going to be tremendous so she can work her kind of like cajun magic to also we'll be we'll be on the pitch by the end of the game we'll be part of the uh the starters so i'm not as worried you're actually making me feel better as you say that because i'm like oh yeah if something goes sideways who got me out of the situation last time there you go that's true okay well that's that's gonna be fun uh you will be you'll be missed uh, I've only been overseas once. It was for our honeymoon two-week trip to Europe, Dublin, Rome, Santorini. Did it all, uh, like basically four days in each, and it was absolutely incredible. Learned a lot about traveling overseas, about things that you should do, things that you shouldn't do, uh, things that if I had to go back, I mean, I shouldn't say if I had to go back, I want to be able to go back overseas at some point very soon, but was one of those things I'm really glad we did. We did one of those split honeymoon type things where it's like our, or for our, like our registry, like our gift registry was like half to honeymoon stuff and then half like stuff, but we just didn't need a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And That's we, the way to do it, man. Have fun with it. Yeah. It was great. And like people could buy, buy you a, a tour of the Vatican or something like that, or they could pay for part of your plane tickets or something. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I recommend it. It was, it worked out really well. Um, and one of the things that, that I remember going into that experience was like, oh crap, like this is really intimidating. Are we just going to get off at the airport and just look like Americans instantly and be Mm -hmm. swarmed everywhere we went? And there, there is a little bit of that depending on where you go. I definitely remember feeling that way in Rome. We got off in Rome going from Dublin, which is, as I've said many times, I think more American than 
certain American cities. I think Dublin feels more American than New Orleans at times. Uh, yeah. It's just just different. Like New Orleans feels like its own world and Dublin's like, oh yeah, you just go into the pub and hear T Swift and it's no big deal. Just watching um, uh Northwestern win a football game. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It's the only continent that they can win a football game on. Um but yeah, like going through that experience and getting to Rome, we both had major culture shock. And it's one thing to feel like you have a couple of phrases locked in when you know English is not the primary language somewhere where you're gonna be going. But it's totally different when you're just thrown into the mix. You get off the airport and you're like, oh, my gosh, um, getting a cab, being able to to give them the right money. How, how do we know if we're tipping properly, which you don't like tip in restaurants there. That's not a thing. And you have to figure stuff out like that. Mm-hmm. The VAT tax, dog. Oh, man. It, it is So like things like that, that you just are so second nature to, to us as Americans that when we we get overseas, like you really have to be kind of well-versed in that. And the, the moment of panic that set in when we got to our, our neighborhood that we stayed in this little neighborhood in Rome called Testaccio, which Testaccio is not in the main tourist di- district by the Vatican and all that stuff. It's like 20 minute train ride South of that and real deal Italian, like real mm-hmm. deal. Like the, it was overwhelming, very, very overwhelming getting there. And I wished at the time that we had learned some more Italian because we went into a little cafe and we're just wondering how to order a sandwich. And that that is so difficult to be able to do and then brushed up on some of it. But I, I loved, loved the experience getting to go overseas. And I'm so excited for you that you're going to be experiencing all these different places and getting to do a lot of stuff. Very, very jealous because we we're hoping to be able to do it in 2020 and then pandemic happened. So mm-hmm. I'll just vicariously live through you. All right, let's go to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. I try to keep it pretty simple for this. Um, Just your best piece of advice for an American traveling overseas and then an overseas horror story that you experienced. Uh, Let's start with this one from Krista Kissinger. Krista says, if you are heading to a country with a siesta time, make sure you arrive to your hotel around that time for a solid two to three hour nap uh, after your flight. Helps with the jet lag. Also, walking tours are the best to get to know the city you are in and will help you walk off all the great food. Mm-hmm. Love a walking tour. Love it, Will. Like, one of my favorite things that I can do as a human being is go on a food walking tour. Any place, anytime, any new city, sign me up 100% on board. One of my favorite days on this earth, maybe like, not not one wedding day, birth of a child, all that stuff. Like <laughs> the list is getting a little longer. The 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 the, the uh, asterisk of like, well, not my wedding, not the birth of my child, but right after that, yeah. But you get what I'm saying here. Yeah. Uh, not very far off was waking up in Rome and realizing all we had to do that day was go on this food tour in our neighborhood, Testaccio. Mm-hmm. two block walk to be able to get to the start of our tour. It's like the best food tour in Rome. And it's where like people that are staying in the tourist district come to go to get a true taste of Rome cuisine and all that stuff. And that feeling that day where we went to like the garden of the oranges in the morning and, and, and all we were doing was eating, walking and eating mm-hmm. the entire day. Oh, it was beautiful. Sometimes when I'm stressed out, I'll just think to myself, like, just put me in that 
that that frame of mind that I was in that day, wherein I tasted Parmesan, even something so basic as Parmesan, that I thought to myself, oh, this is how Parmesan is supposed to taste. Mm-hmm. This is the way the gods intended. Unbelievable. So and it's all yeah, small, right? It's like a, a family that makes the Parmesan and they grow yes. all the stuff themselves and they season it themselves. They've been working on this batch of Parmesan for like days. They hand to you, you're like, yeah, it's just Parmesan. You take it about you're like, oh, some parts of our American lifestyle might be a little bit overrated because you see these little coastal towns where they've just been living the way they've been living for hundreds of years. And you're like, this might be the best Parmesan. I'll be honest with you. Yep. Yeah. Like, oh, they, they take, they have this six hour process that, mm-hmm. that goes into just the, the very first step of this. And, and it's not mass produced. And, and very quickly you see the difference in some of the things that these people do. And it's like best tomatoes I've ever eaten in my entire life was on this bruschetta as they call it. Mm-hmm. And, and you're just sitting there like, this is, this is the way tomatoes are supposed to taste. This, this is it right here. Food tours, the absolute best. That is, that is a great call. Great recommendation. Mm-hmm. Aaron Michael says, been living in Poland since January. Oh, all right. So there you go. You're the expert. Yeah. It. But have traveled all over while being here. Advice, go vacation in the countries that have the largely favorable exchange rates like Poland, Czech, etc. As the large cities in countries utilizing euro are very, very expensive like Zurich, uh, Vienna. There are so many great cities all over Europe, but you can live the high life where the exchange is favorable. Be careful with the trains and do not rely on them to make flights. That's a really good Mm. call as well. My small horror story happened recently. Flew back from Croatia and had to check my small luggage uh, at the plane. Upon arrival, I grabbed my bag and went about my day. Little did I notice that my bag, that the bag was not mine and it was after 1130 at night. My apartment keys and car keys were in that bag. So I started running around the airport looking at everyone's bag, ended up going going to the lost luggage counter where the guy said he couldn't help me since it wasn't an actual checked bag. Thankfully, a guy walks up 15 minutes later with my bag. I thought whoever took my bag was already on their way home while I literally had no way to drive or get in my apartment until it showed up. Our bags were identical, but he had a slightly different shade of gray wheels. Please put on a bag tag or something to differentiate your bag. I think about this often, Will. How does this not happen all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, constantly bags look really similar and I get it. You have bag tags. I'm guilty of not checking mine every single time. I'm like, yeah, I know what my bag looks like. This is mine. I'm going to take it. And then I'll have that moment probably when I get outside where I think to myself, eh, you know what? I should probably check this, but I'm already off with that bag. Mm-hmm. There is nothing stopping someone from parking in airport parking which expensive. So I guess that's kind of stopping you showing up to baggage claim, walking off with somebody's bag. Yep. What, where is the, where, where is any sort of governance around that? And I'm sure that's happened to people. Maybe people listening to this, that issue has come up, but even the accidental one where you're screwed. If that person is already home, if, if they got a 45 minute drive home, and they don't realize it until they get there and they open their bag or they even do the thing that I often do. If I come home late at night, like when I got home from media days, I just throw my bag in, the, in our, you know, like in our, in our main hallway. I'm not unloading that until tomorrow. I'm not mm-hmm. looking at that. And then it's like by the next day, I would have opened it and seen somebody else's stuff. I guess the moral of the story is just check your bag tag and make sure that nobody runs off with it. But still, I'm just surprised this stuff doesn't happen more often. 
I had exactly that same uh, thought last time we were in New Orleans because somebody had literally like my exact, I have like the away bags and somebody had my exact bags and they're a weird color too. I have like a really like a deep green color bag that's like usually really easy to see, but they had like sorority letters on them or something. And John just kept being like, hey man, this is your bag. And it was just come through. I was like, no, it's not. Stop doing that because I'm going to pick it up. And we kept that. like, and we kept like joking about like, dude, what's stopping someone from just walking up? grabbing your bag exactly what you just said because you have such plausible deniability if you were to ever get like let's say they just like got like security footage like oh dude yeah i thought that was my bag my bad bro yeah i i i really am am wondering if we're gonna find out about some bag thieves that have just been operating this massive scheme for years it was just oh yeah just i take five bags a day and that's just how i get all yeah. that stuff maybe people are doing this well, know. every like old school way of like the accountability system of just like, oh, take something, leave something, pay it for all this stuff in our society has kind of gone away and broken down. Like the bag check is really the, one of the last bastions of like, you see your bag, pick up your bag and leave. Don't take someone else's bag. <laughs> like, Well, we look back 20 years from now and think that we were way too lackadaisical when it comes to checked bags. Maybe so. Why? We, we definitely could. I could see that world happening. Okay, uh, let's go to this one from, oh, we got to go. Okay, so Carolyn Gwyneth says, advice, many of the people standing in good photo spots, like the lawn by the Eiffel Tower, are just waiting for some American to hand them their phone and ask for a photo to be taken. They will then run, and now you are in Europe without your phone. Story hmm. one, see, see the above except in 2011, and it was a digital camera. Oh, that sucks. Story yeah. two. 2016, on a bus from the terminal to the plane at Mykonos Airport. Ooh, been there. Bus almost hits a different taxiing plane. Get oh. on plane, about to land in Rome, and pilot violently pulls up at the last minute to avoid hitting a plane that was on the runway we were about to land on. Finally off the plane, and the bus from the plane to the terminal almost hits another tarmac to terminal bus. So we found the first wine bar in the Rome airport and got hammered during our layover to Ibiza. Side note, wine bars at the Rome airport are pretty legit. Hmm. I've seen what she's talking about. It's pandemonium at the Mykonos airport. It, it is It is just like a like a bus that just drives out there. I, I don't get why they do it that way. No idea how people don't have serious issues that come up. Again, this is one of those things. And I'm like, surely we're going to come up with a better process here. But I, 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 I very much remember having to get on a bus and get onto our plane at the Mykonos airport and thinking, well, this is weird. This can't be the way that, that people operate and coming that close to, to hitting something that is, uh, that is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Selfies only selfies only. Will yep. don't be afraid to take a selfie. There's nothing wrong with that. Even if it's somebody that you're chatting up unless, unless you're on a food tour, if you're on a food tour, rules are different than a food tour, right? Way different, man. Way different. Mm -hmm. Maybe the guide, the guide is going to offer to take pictures. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You've got all their information. You, right. You, you can figure that one out. That is probably the only person that you can legitimately trust overseas to take a picture for you. But just, just take selfies, man. Just, you got long enough arms. You're good. You'll be fine. You're, you'll see everything. This is a, a great example of the, uh, okay, first, first time I've seen this person comment, Carolyn Gwyneth, category three of photos. Okay, you look like an awesome person, LSU fan, rad. And it's like, okay, you're going to Ibiza. Yeah, comment on some more stuff. 
Seems like you know a lot about life. Let's get some more comments from you. Because I'm really, like, it's one of those, like, everything I'm kind of reading about you, I'm like, I would like to hear some of your figuring it out wisdom. Because, yeah, it's like, that's a really good tip. That's the thing I'm going to learn from this little thing is, like, do not give your phone to people. I mean, it sounds obvious, but, like, it's one of those, like, of course, you give your phone. Like, dude, in D.C., like, this dude, uh, I handed him my phone to take a picture that's on my Instagram now, like, me and my work team. And then he just, like, told us, like, this very specific way to get where we are going. That dude could have just mugged me. He could have just, like, if we just followed these little back roads, not like back roads, it wasn't like a Spider-Man sewer, like, like back alley situation. But if we had, like, gone where he told us to, it could have just been some dude trying to mug us. So, yeah, never count on the, uh, that's what we keep hearing is everyone, never trust anyone. Don't count on strangers for anything. No, do not trust strangers at all. That is great advice. Yes, Carol. Unless they're hosting podcasts, in which case, trust everything they say and never argue with them. Good point. That's that's a great point. Yes, just take everything at face value. Trust mm-hmm. what they say 100%. Uh, let's go to this one from Mike Swick. Mike says, while traveling to the UK, I arrived in Heathrow and caught a flight to Manchester. Unfortunately, my luggage didn't make the connection. So I went to the ATM to get cash out and it ate my card. Oh my gosh. Speaking of things that I'm surprised don't happen more often, that right mm-hmm. there. My traveler's checks were in my luggage. So I exchanged the couple of bucks in my wallet for pounds and grabbed the snack and waited for my luggage. I went to throw my trash away and couldn't find a trash can. I asked the lady at the desk and she told me they didn't have trash bins because the ira would leave bombs in bins and walk away all this right was 1999 oh okay yeah, yeah there we go <laughs> okay that yeah. was a very good piece of i was like okay. what's going on over there should have led with the fact that this was 1999 <laughs> uh the u.s had no tsa and very little security what a drastic yeah. change to the way that we travel today yeah um do, do not get it do not get it. The way that we used to do travel all over the place pre 9-11 is uh, baffling. Watching old TV shows, people just walking up to the gate without paying a ticket. Mm-hmm. Home Alone, Lost in New York, that entire thing. Okay, we can't even find a ticket for you. Just board this plane because you said that your dad is inside. I mean, mm-hmm. I get it. Kevin McAllister is as savvy as they come, but come on. like We needed a better process. Home Alone should have been the thing that kind of made us aware of that but <laughs> that should have been the warning side we could have prevented all this stuff if we had just listened to kevin McAllister and been like how is this child able to do all this stuff we should really put in some safeguards for this movie to not be possible i mean if the if they had just checked him properly are the sticky yeah. bandits still on the loose some are asking yeah just saying probably but yeah that's uh that's good the, the panic that sets in when you're when, when you're in that spot it's one thing to have your ATM card taken, but to be in an unfamiliar setting, I'm terrible at troubleshooting. We know this. That would not be my finest hour. I feel like you would be so much better in that situation than I would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've maybe told the story before in here where I was trying to board the flight. Last time I went to uh, Europe, I was um, flying back from Rome. And no, 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 no. The flight to America was in Paris. So we had flown from Rome to Paris. And and I was watching highlights. It was during the NBA playoffs. I was watching playoff highlights in the restroom. I had had to, you know, take care of my business before I got on. And I got kind of lost in the time. I was watching some Jokic highlights before he was a big deal. And we almost missed our flight. Uh, and I, like, walked up to the front. And I was like, hey. And then I realized I didn't have my ticket. And I was like, oh, no, because I had a physical ticket. And the, and the lady was like, well, you can't board the plane. And I was just like, hey, um, this is the first class section of my right. She's like, yeah. I was like. This is like a really nice airport, right? She's like, oh, like one of the best in Europe. I was like, so you guys have a printer, right? 
They could always play. They literally could always play. It was like the funniest conversation because she was committed to not letting me on the plane. I was just like, so you're going to tell me you guys don't have a printer? Who do I need to talk to who understands the printer here? And like, I just kept like, so it was funny because she tried to like then sent me through extra security. This is like what makes me think of this. And in hopes that like I was, you know, smuggling drugs or something and she just could punish me for being slightly late to the plane. And because they didn't even board it yet. They were just in line. I was like, yo, I don't have my ticket. Anyway, so uh, the dude pulled me aside or whatever that was searching me and he was kind of gruff looking like uh, Eastern European dude. And I was wearing a a magic shirt, like an Orlando magic shirt. And he goes, oh, Nikola Vucevic. And I was like, that's my boy. And we started talking about Vooch. And bro, I was in that line two minutes. I walked back, high five the lady. (laughs) It was like, yeah, yeah, you can't get me. I'm friends with Nikola Vucevic. Not really, but that's what the dude thought. (laughs) That's a bold move too, because I I was definitely, uh, we we approached it not wearing any sort of, any sort of American sports gear, no no American brands, anything like that. Basic non-logo clothing, stuff that, that we could, kind of wear interchangeably, which is a little bit tricky when you got to like dress for climates and stuff like that. But it's difficult because you realize a lot of your wardrobe has logos on it or something like that. And an easy way to identify you in that scenario, it absolutely worked in -hmm. other scenarios. If I had just gotten off at the Rome airport and I'm sitting there wearing a Cubs Jersey. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Like it was bad enough from the people that, that could tell that we were figuring out where to go and the amount of people that are trying to hurry you into a cab and stuff like that. Like literally like in the airport within the airport, not just like, Oh, here's my car come into my cab. But like, Hey, I have a cab right this way. Come, 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 come. Like I I would, I would always be thinking about that, but I'm glad that you got it to work out in your favor. That's very Mm -hmm. fortunate. All right. Um, we got one from, all right, let's go to, our guy Emery's got one. Of course he does. Emery not having a horror story would have been a surprise here. Mm-hmm. Emery says, I went to Mexico with my family in my senior year of high school on a cruise. This was in the middle of some disappearances related to a cartel. So before they docked that day, the captain came over the intercom and said, we recommend that you do not rent a car, go outside of the tourist area or split from your group. So my sister, her boyfriend, and I did the opposite of what he said. It did all three. It split from my mom and stepdad and rented a Jeep. We started driving around looking for a beach with less people to hang out at we passed an old police station that had been shot up and thought huh that's weird we kept going for probably 30 minutes outside of the tourist area before a truck pulls out from the jungle in front of us in the bed of this truck was a young teenager in torn up clothes on a mounted machine gun we turned that jeep around so fast it got up on two wheels and sped back to town we may have lost money on the rental, but we smoked cigars and drank beer at a beachside bar until it was time to get back on the ship. It could have been worse, but it definitely could have been better. Yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah. Could, could have been worse. Not an area where you probably want to go rogue. You, you know this now. Should have known it then. Mm. Yeah, look. There are certain places you can be bold. When they tell you when you are dropped off on an excursion in St. Martin, hey, kind of you know stick to these specific areas. If you want to go to a restaurant that's like a you know maybe not right next to the ship, all right, whatever, you'll probably be fine. You want to go to a beach that's maybe a little bit of a walk, you'll, you'll probably be fine. Getting in a jeep and driving to a place where you think is going to be fun or you just want to be able to experience, 
don't know, man. You you might have had that one coming. <laughs> you might have had that one coming. Yeah, um, Emery definitely has like the uh, Burt Kreischer, like the machine vibes. Yes. Like I could just see him still living in Mexico and just have been captured by those people, and he's just like, look. I'm I am Ugga. They call me Ugga back home. I'm the king of the Bulldogs. And like he just has a little like just like a bullet belt, shirtless. He's living on the beach. They think he's some kind of a warlord, so they're scared to touch him. But at the same time, yeah, once you see the teenager with the mounted machine gun, you know you're not in Kansas anymore. As they once said, you know you time to yeah, turn that Jeep around. And to your point, Connor, that's about as well as that could have gone because when you turn a Jeep around, you know, you, number one, you can roll. But number two, you look really suspicious. And if I'm a child on a machine gun, hard to imagine that. But let's say I'm a Mexican child on a machine sure. gun. And I see a Jeep up on two wheels turn around thinking, well, those guys are at least scared of me. <laughs> so maybe I'll just fire a couple warning shots and at least have some fun with them. So the fact that uh, you got out of there with no, uh, what do we say, 100% health? Thing is pretty yeah. shocking, honestly. Not even a flat tire. Yeah, that's that's a win. That that is a win. It is a a lesson learned. Let's let's end with this one from our guy Michael Dark, who offers up this advice. He says, "I've only been to Mexico and Canada, so I haven't technically been overseas. However, everyone I know that has been says you need to throw on a Canadian accent to make." things easier on yourself. Canadians are universally loved and you'll get better service. Will can be a Cajun Canadian. I think your Cajun Canadian would just be how you think Minnesotans talk. No, that would be letter Kenny. I could actually, if it was like me and John, I think we could get away with that with my mom and my, their whole family from Alabama. Not a shot. I would be like best I could do is adopt it at that point. If I start pulling up the Wayne from Letterkenny, hit him with a little bit of Shorzy, maybe I could get my way somewhere if I was by myself. But with those people, they're, so they're, they're, their voices sound like molasses. I don't know why I don't have the accent that they do. It is honestly shocking because those are the most American-Americans I've ever seen. They'll probably have Roll Tide gear on. So That's true. That's true. Michael's right, though. Canadians are universally loved. I mean, everybody yeah. who has seen Argo saw that play out. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Learn to appreciate Canadians. That, that there is something to be said for it. Probably the least intimidating accent one can have is a Canadian accent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, I, I I didn't think about kind of changing my dialect because I wasn't really, at least when we were there, I wasn't really trying to talk a whole lot to people. <laughs> Was it if if we were if we we waited to be engaged? That's another thing, though. And and if you want to talk about trying to not look like that American, which you will see that American. There, there are, is a very good chance that if you're traveling overseas, you're going to run into those Americans and you'll kind of put your head down and be like, oh, we're not with them. Those Americans do not make any effort to learn the native language mm-hmm. and they show up to places and they speak in English and they don't try. And that sucks. I like by the end of our trip, even as someone that could speak like very, very little Italian. If you go into a restaurant, show them that you're trying. Mm-hmm. Show them that you're trying and you will not get treated like crap. Trust me. If you go into like, and it's different in you know Dublin where English is the primary speaking language. But even like in, in a place like Santorini, where if you can get a little bit, like just a little bit of Greek, just show them that you give a crap. Mm-hmm. They'll treat you a little bit differently. Although, 
like most people can speak English and they, mm-hmm. they can understand it. And so they'll eventually like kind of give into you, but I don't know, like I just came away from that being like, okay, I kind of understand why people hate Americans at times when they think that English is just the universal language that everybody should know and everyone should just adapt to what they're doing. And that's just not always going to be the case wherever you are. You gotta, you gotta try, just gotta try. Yeah. Again, man, if uh, the advice is, be quiet, pretend to be Canadian. It's not going to be my group. So uh, we're going to see how that goes. I might be the most quiet person there. I love all of them. We're just a very American group. I think it's going to be very apparent. So I'm going to think uh, think we'll have fun. But yeah, I wonder, okay, so what's your move? This is the one thing I was wondering was going to be covered in the comment. What's your move? Like you don't know something. Like Let's say you're trying to find, let's just say make it easy, like a restroom, but you're in Greece, like you don't know Greek. Like, you know, necesito baño. Like we all know a little bit of Spanish, right? But sure. like, okay, so let's say you need a restroom. You're like in Greece or whatever. Do you like? Well, let's say you talk to someone. Do you like? You know, pull up the translator app and grab like restroom. Uh, Don't like. What do you try to speak English and then kind of like? Eh, I speak English. I'm sorry. Like kind of do the hands up. Do you try to like? Some people will try Spanish if they're in Greece because they're like you might know Spanish. I don't know. What's your move? Uh, you could try translator app in that mm-hmm. in that setting. Learn what bathroom is, just a word. Right. You should be able to figure out like kind of just what a basic trans. If you just say one word, mm-hmm. you're usually going to be able to get some sort of help, even if you botch the pronunciation of it. But if you if you can at least get to that, maybe mimic like washing hands, something like that. That's a good way to be able to, to, to kind of sign your way through it or something. Yeah. But don't just say like, hey, where's the bathroom? <laughs> and expect them to be able to, to kind of help you. I would yeah. say try and go through those two two things. And if you're getting nowhere with that, then mm, I'd say just walk around and hope that you find it. That's the best thing. <laughs> I love you, man. The, the most Midwestern man. It's like, look, I don't want to embarrass myself or waste your time. So I'm just going to hold it. I'm just- mean, <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the bathroom situation sometimes a little... You know, you, you don't really know. Oh, is that a, a man on the door? Is that a woman on the door? Am I going to go into the wrong bathroom? I, I don't know. It, mm-hmm. What's that bidet doing in that Italian bathroom? Uh, whatever. Like, just, <laughs> just kind of go with it, man. Just you can you can figure it out or be observant. Yeah. Chances are you're you're going to see somebody else have to go to the bathroom at some point. Just mm-hmm. kind of make eyes with follow someone. Them. Follow. Stare them. at them. Follow. Go them into the their stall. Go yeah. into their stall. Shake yeah. their hand. Shake their hand. Need help. Sure. I, I see no issue with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that is a foolproof method. You'll find the bathroom doing that. You, yeah. you also might end up with a <laughs> end up dead. <laughs> they might not find you after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, safe travels, Will. Hope mm-hmm. all goes well. Hope you're able to, to soak in the entire experience. It's going to be absolutely awesome. We're going to be like mid, mid-swing, like mid-season form, full swing, fall camp when you get back that's exciting. i can't wait for like the news cycle that i walk into it's like the oh you know the alabama quarterback is now third in the heisman odds <laughs> it's like we have all these camp stores we were talking about i don't know man we just gotta go with it i know it was weird it's like when I, when i went away for a while on on uh on paternity leave and then coming back to some of the stories i'm like yeah a lot is a lot has changed a lot has changed these last that kid weeks. with the 6.0 gpa was all time though like having to go backwards through that story was like Huh? <laughs> I, I know I'm on three hours of sleep right now, but this kid graduated after a sophomore year of high school. What? What are we talking about? Here? Right. Yeah. Yes. 
hopefully things don't change too drastically for you. But yes, we'll we'll still have a lot of content coming up in these next couple of weeks. And like I said before, we will be one pod a week until fall camp starts, and then we'll be in full two pod a week mode. Yeah, but we're gonna have mm-hmm. some great interviews coming up. We're still gonna keep cranking out some of these first time guests. I got a couple in the holster that um, should be really good that I'm looking forward to as well. But yes, um, send Will your well wishes, and hopefully you make it back sometime soon, man. Yeah, man. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you guys. And uh, I'll be back safe. And then I'll be in Orlando for uh, LSU, FSU. And hopefully it'll be better than the last time where, again, I got in the car wreck and watched the worst LSU loss of my life. So I'll hopefully be able to see you. It'll be a great time. So season's almost here, man. Yes. Love it. Follow us on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at the SDS pod, at CJ O'Kara, at Go So Hard. Leave us a five-star review. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on Figuring It Out or Pull the Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.